Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience revelatory teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Well, here we are again. It's Tuesday, and can I say I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm kind of getting a little confused about what day's the most important, Tuesday or Thursday or Thursday night or, so I'm enjoying them all. I'm enjoying them all. Thank you for joining me tonight for ABCs of Apostleship, Discipling Apostolic Christians. We're going to do a great teaching tonight. I think you'll find it a little bit fun. Make sure you let everybody know that we are here tonight discussing New Era Apostleship, Apostolic Christians, which we have finally deduced are scripturally organic and culturally unmodified. Yay! I know. See, it's like a sound effect tonight, guys. Did you hear that? And I think kind of a live effect, but that's okay. We have live sound effects. And so I'm excited that God has entrusted me with this. You know, I was talking with the Lord about it, you know, and I was saying, God, you know, you've given me so much, which he has, and he's blessed me. I said, but, Lord, this is a real massive call. I mean, it's, this is very involved. And I just wanted to know. I said, you know, Lord, how did you make up your mind that you can just give all of this to me? Because if you had any idea what the Lord has given to me, you'd be stunned. However, he said to me, he said, because you saw it through to the end. And that's a powerful thing in God. You know, Jesus has said over and over again, but those who endure to the end, God's the end time God. He's not the beginning. He's the end time. And so when God gives you something and he gives it to you knowing that it's hard, because if it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be coming from him. Hallelujah. You know, the, the, the whole yoke is easy thing is a little bit of a cover story for the Holy Ghost. It's God's cover story. You know, it's easy. I mean, it's easier with one God than it is with a bunch of them. That's where the yoke is easy piece comes and, and my burden's light. So God says, you know, I, I saw through to the end. Why am I saying that? Because some of you are on the verge of abandoning what God gave you. And because we have been taught that God is so loving and so kind and tender, we've been taught that. And because we've been taught it, we also, all of that speaks to the darkened mind and the unenlightened mind that God is easy, that God doesn't care, that it doesn't matter. He's okay if you quit. He's okay if you abandon. And certainly he's, he doesn't come back on you. I mean, he really doesn't come back on you. He just goes on, you know, goes on. There's that whole section just before Jesus' crucifixion and departure from the planet where he went out tapping other people for his ministry, and they gave him a song and a dance. Oh, I just got married, just had some kids, just bought a business, all of that. And you are taught that all of those excuses are acceptable to God. And, and the pastor said, and the Lord moved on. And because God moves on, we think he never looks back. That was worth the thought, wasn't it? We think he never looks back. 
But the fact of the matter is God is like any other leader. He's out to get a job done. He's out to get his project finished. He wants to wrap this thing up and let's get on with what he really said, let there be for. Because he had some specific visions in mind, the visions that he really had when he said let there be, the hopes in his heart. So this is not his plan A. This is God's test. We're the lab. You know, this is an experiment. Let's see how we're going to do this. We want to get the right Christians in our world now. We, we want to get the right sons and daughters and, and on and on. But just because God doesn't stop you, because just because he doesn't rebuke you and he doesn't terrify you and tear up your life, don't assume that he's okay with your no. Just because he moves on doesn't mean he never looks back. Because he moved on with Peter. And when that cock crowed three times, Jesus looked back, and he looked in Peter's face after Peter had made all of those vows and all of those promises. Lord, if all of them leave you, count on me. I will be there with you. First one to flee. And the only one to deny him. Because I found out, you know, and if you're a pastor, you can almost write amen with me on this one. We found out the ones that stand up there with the testimony, I will never leave you, Dr. Price, I'm with you, I don't care. Those are the people who have one foot out the door. Their body came in, but their shadow stayed in the car. <laughs> when people have that much public avowals, there has to be some reason why they have to make it public. You almost want to know who are they trying to convince. The people who have stood with me, didn't give me a long speech. I didn't get a long speech. Matter of fact, I kept looking up. I was like, Jesus, y'all leave them? They're like, where are we going to go? And so I say to you, God responds. He just reserves his reactions. God responds in, in a moment. He registers what you say. He registers what happened. He registers your feelings and, and your reactions to his request, and then he he reserves his reactions until a more opportune time. So I will say to you tonight, whoever you are, don't quit. And don't put the project down. It may seem like God's a slow press, but anybody who's going to pay you forever is not in a hurry to start because they're not going to waste their money. God's a good steward. He just doesn't pay you because you show up. He just doesn't pay you because you sound good. He doesn't pay you because you, you left a, a, a job for him. God pays you when he gets a finished product, just like everybody else. Now, he will let others pay you, and that's where we get confused. People will say, well, you know, this isn't working for me, or I have to get a job, or I have to go back, or my family, or whatever. And so God will let others pay you. He won't stop, you from, he won't stop others from paying you, and the problem is you think he's doing it. Because we act as if Jesus never said, men will bless you when you do well for yourself, and the world will always bless its own. Huh. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? He says the world will always bless its own. So don't assume that just because you're getting blessed in the world, you're blessed of the God who made the world. Because God is, he wants us to want him. And he knows that where your heart is, is where you want to be. And you're not going to give him your best. Why does God let people leave and, and some people he won't? Because some people are going to give God their best because it's in them to be the best of what they do no matter who they're doing it for. So converting them to him is not hard. 
Then there are those people who will only do their best when their emotions agree with the task or when the circumstances of life do not conflict with what God wants. When that conflict happens, that's why God allows conflict. Too. Sometimes he sends it because he wants the best, and he's just not as vocal as well. I mean, God doesn't have the news broadcast. You know, and if he has preachers who aren't going to say it, you're not going to hear it. If the preachers don't tell you how God thinks, if the prophets don't, won't reveal what God is doing or how he's responding to you, if you don't hear it from the pulpit or hear it from the ministry, you are oblivious, and you're pretty much at risk. So you don't know that God has an issue until 10 years down the road. Because somebody's eternal does not do 60 seconds and 60 minutes. So 10 years down the road, everything in your life has dried up. All of the things that you've worked on, God. I mean, you are sitting around tables talking about what you could have been and what you once were and what used to be. And you're living in the present on the past tense. And God's not talking. He has nothing else to say. And so you run from here to there and whatever, and you'll take whoever says it's God. But in your heart, false prophecy is like a a con job. Cons only work when people want to be deceived. And false prophecies work when people don't want the truth. Because remember, we're in the world, and the world has its own systems and its own agents. So as you, you know, there are a lot of questions that that people are running around with, and a lot of you all are blaming the prophet for this and blaming the prophet for that. Trust me, if God, if the spirit of truth was allowed to have its way in you, false prophecy can never dupe you. Just like a con will not work on a person who is not going to be deceived. The hallmark of a successful con is to find the people who are already talking themselves into the deception. Pretty good, isn't it? And the same thing for prophecy. Because let me tell you something, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost in you will lead you and guide you into all truth. He will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit will be your inward witness. Doesn't it say that? So either the word is true or not. So if the Holy Spirit is silent, it's because you've silenced him. If the inward witness is not bearing witness, it's because you've ignored him. And it's like any other alarm. You keep turning it off enough, eventually... You don't hear it, and it runs out. So, and I say that because, you know, as we're moving into this this next dimension of God, you know, people are asking all of this stuff like God's at fault because people got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, that was good. That was good. And every time people have a false word, they blame God. Well, God could have told me the truth. You could have sought him for the truth. Matter of fact, you could have chosen the truth. Truth is always there. Truth is ever-present and always silent. Ever-present and always silent. The truth will ask for you, and the lie will push its way through. And these are some simple ways of saying it, and I say it simply for you to remember it, simply. So you can't be duped unless you're already talking yourself out the truth. You cannot be. God says the only way, and I've, I've studied this thing since 1987. I've studied it. And the people who know me closely know I've studied it almost every single day of my life. I don't put it down. I don't put it down because you can get dull. 
I don't put it down because it's easy for you to start being drawn away here and there. And so I studied this, and one of the things I found out about prophecy and the words and prophets and all of that is that to hear and be led by a false prophecy begins with choosing another God, or at least, at the least, another God's point of view. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to tonight, but God wants to give you some information. So don't blame God because you made the wrong job, etc. Because God said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, and not the clan. So he says in Ezekiel, and if you study Ezekiel 13 and Ezekiel 14, I promise you that you'll get delivered from false prophecy. Just read those two chapters. You'll be free. And he says in there that people who receive false prophecy comes with the God opinion or response that they want to his prophets. So God won't allow his prophets to see the truth. He will just block it. He said, I myself will answer that person by the idols in their heart. Huh. Isn't that interesting? And if it's a prophet that's prone to go, you know, play it, you know, loose and light with the truth, all the better. But I'm telling you, you did not marry that wrong person because of a prophet. You married that wrong person because you did not want to wait. And the prophet becomes a scapegoat when your real motives are finally revealed. You didn't take the wrong job. And I'm telling you this because it's important. It's important because you cannot, I'm telling you, people get false prophecies all the time and say, that, that ain't God. And walk away. Never think that, that word never comes back. But that person that comes and says, I got, I'm tired of being alone. You can't even get a false prophecy until you send out a fleet. I hear this so many times with, uh, you know, women who feel like they, they should have somebody or whatever, or men. I'm, the minute you say, I'm tired of being alone, I'm getting so-and-so age. You're having conversations in coffee shops. You're having conversations in church. You're having prayer sessions, etc. And when you do that enough, you have sent those words out on the wind to bring you back an answer. Because faith works whether it's on the right highway or the wrong byway. Faith works. And a lot of you all, Sent out faith. You went to, you got on Christian Mingo. They got people, they got all kinds of witches in town on praying for all these dating sites. These people are not making a lot of money because folks are getting married and being happy. Because if that happened, they'd be out of business. They're making a lot of money on mistakes. They're making a lot of money on trial and error. They're making a lot of money on just impatience and wantonness. They're not making money on good things. They can't. They can only have so many good, happy marriages before they're going to themselves suffer. So there are other things and behind the scenes that you should know about that are really working to see to it that marriage is never happy, hope and never content. There will always be a reason why you need to separate. There will always be a reason why you have to hurry up and get married so you can hurry up and get divorced. Those things don't go away. And so I would say to you tonight, Whoever you are, this is counsel from the Almighty. This 
have, you have got to decide whether or not the truth is in you. If there's a root of truth in you, then it's always looking to bear fruit. But if there is the, the desire, the lust for other things, if you've got to do it this world's way, then don't blame God when the world can't deliver. Don't make God deliver on a promise that Satan made. Because he's like, I don't have to deliver. Don't make God answer for promises and failures that Satan talked you into. And many of you, that's what you do. You, I mean, it, it, it never fails. God's like, got to an answer. And what did he say? He said, so he said to Jeremiah, when these people come to you and ask you a question, tell them, I'm not answering them. Well, I, I don't have to answer for what they did. I'm God. I don't have to answer. I don't have to tell you why you fell into the wrong thing. I don't have to tell you that. I don't even have to tell you why you ended up with that date turning out to be harmful to you because you didn't ask me should you go on the date. So I got to tell you why it turned out badly. See, I'm talking about scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. We're so, I'm telling you, this church is so modified by culture, it can't find God in a lineup. With his glowing all over the place, you'll pick the you'll pick the guy that's glowing, swear with God, and it's the angel of life. Because you can't, you don't know him. And this is what God is doing in the seventies. He said, two thousand seventeen. He wants you to know him. You've got to know God, and to know him, you've got to be with him. And most of us can't tolerate that much of God in our life. We don't want to pray too long. We want to go to a church where the sermon's short. Now, you're going to sit there and do 10 dates and probably three weekends with somebody you never met before to get to know them, and yet you can't put in an hour sermon with God. And you think God doesn't know that you're always rushing him through? He knows. And if he doesn't want to rush, he just doesn't respond. Well, I'll see you when you run out of steam, because trust me, says the Holy Ghost, you will run out of steam. And you'll run out of steam long before I do. You'll get sick of the day sick of today, long before I get sick of this forever, because we live two different lives. And so you have got to recognize that you cannot be cheated, you cannot be deceived, you cannot be lied to, because God will give you one statement, one dream, one question. I don't care if it's just a question in the check. You know, we've forgotten so much, because, see, you live in so much like the world. See, the world doesn't have a check, so they don't look for one. They don't look for confirmation. That's why they tell you, get back out there. But if you don't open your heart up to, the, to all of the pain, you'll never get the good person. So you're like 13 years in pain talking about I'm still waiting and still not putting good habits and good restraints in, in effect for yourself. The world is not interested in feeling good. It's interested in just living for the moment. And you're trying to use the principles and the rules for living for the moment on an eternal decision. And that can't work. It won't survive. Your thing will fail long before God gets around to answering it. Because he does that. He doesn't have to. If I lived forever like that and I knew I was living forever, I wouldn't be in a hurry either. I was like, oh, well, listen, I'll, I'll answer. Well, God, I'm already 60. Hey, God's like, well, very good. Then I'll just wait for your kids to get here. If I don't get it done in your life, I'll get it done in the generation. You'll live forever. You'll be all right. By the time you get here, you won't even care about that. You won't even want it. Those who know their God. I love this man because he's straight. God is uncomplicated. And as complex as 
he is, he's uncomplicated. That's stupid. That's dumb. That's ruinous. That's crazy. That's me. That's not me. That's going to kill you. This is going to make you alive. It's very clear. The world keeps telling you that there's no, you know, black or white, and they're right. There are no black and white answers in their world. There isn't, because their world is not based on black or white. Their world is based on black. So any white they, they get in is just great. The world is based in darkness. The whole world is in darkness. So how are they going to talk about black and white? Because you don't even get white. You don't get light. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? We, on the other hand, have the option of the light, the, the light and the darkness because we have the God of light who created the darkness. You see, it's very different. Perspective is everything. And if you belong to the man called Jesus Christ, you need to understand how, they, how he thinks. In his world, they don't think like that. God does not have a black or white. God has God Almighty, Jesus Christ, and Satan, the fallen angel. That's all God has. He has no, that's a scale. What is God's scale? If I had a scale, my scale would be sitting right there, and I would have God Almighty on the right, because he's right, and I have the anointed sheriff that got kicked out because the plan failed. On the left. That's how God answers questions, people. You're thinking he's answering the way the world does. The world has to have all of these other things because it's starting in darkness. It's starting in ignorance. It's starting in blackness, trying to find some light. Is this true or not? So you you actually, you know, when people say, well, it's just not that simple. For you, probably not. You live in a world where nothing is simple, where you concentrate everything. And God, well, God says evil with you, you say, you know, appropriate. You see, all those extra letters, and God's done. We have all of these long words for the same things that he said. It's like it's not, it's not deep. Just because you keep adding letters to it doesn't improve the circumstances. And I want you to think differently. You have to. We're apostolic Christians. We're supposed to be smart. We're, supposed, we're scripturally organic, which means we're supposed to be scripturally accurate. And it's important that you recognize that. I had to give that counsel to somebody because you are, you're sitting at a table, you're asking people at work, people at work who already told you they don't like your God. They cuss him out. They ignore him. They blaspheme him every day, and you're going to them for counsel. You all are going to secular counselor, counselors, and you're supposed to be filled with the spirit of Christ. Can they help your soul? They can make your soul feel better. I will not take that from them because they can't. They have that. They got that earthly knowledge. But if you read James, God has a whole statement on earthly knowledge. You got counselors being trained by the world talking about, well, you know, they require us to do this. So we, uh-uh, I'm not doing it because I know y'all lost. And I know the plans that God has for you do not include that. He said, I, I, my plans are to do you good and not evil, to give you a future and not just a past, a hope and not just loss or a way to cope. See, that's the difference. So they're going to give you the past and a way to cope with your past and hopefully survive your present. And if you will, fortunately, make it into a future. I wouldn't do it. They would not get me to learn anything Buddhistic to counsel God's people. I will not do it. 
They will not, I will not, I won't, I won't, I won't do that. That's like a doctor learning false medicine to give it to the sick patient. I'm not doing it because I'm serious about Jesus Christ. They won't get me to do it. We are medical doctors today still fighting with the holistic folk because they so believe in the purity and the authenticity of what they do. Whether they're right or not, it's not my point. The point is they are still convinced. But with Christian, no, 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 you're going to take all of those. Well, I'm going to take these, this, this Scientology, this thing. I'm going to learn a little of that. Yeah, I'm going to learn a little bit of everything so that I could what? Be smart? Yeah, and helpless. Smart and vulnerable. And, yeah, I did learn that. But I learned nothing before I learned the Bible. The number one book I studied before I learned any other book. And it wasn't even, I wish I could say it was my idea. It wasn't. It was God. Man, I was reading all of this stuff, and I went to God after I had the baptism of the Holy Ghost about six months or a year. I was like, God, I'm just confused. I just don't know what it is. He said, well, then why don't you put everything else down and read this? When you learn this, then you go back to everything else. Well, when I, after I learned the Bible, I went back to everything else. I began very clearly to see what God's issues were. And I, and I began to approach things from the light and not the darkness. Is this helping any of you all? Because I know that some of this stuff, I know you, it's like, wow, this is very, very difficult. It's very hard. No, sin is hard. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. He said, the way of the wicked is hard. It's hard being wicked when you've got to be under the judgment of a righteous God. Wickedness is hard. You ever see how hard it is to live with a wicked person? My God. First of all, you never see. God writes it in the Bible. They never sleep. They can't stop their rest. They are ADD. ADD is in the Bible. <laughs> they can't sleep. They can't be still. They can't finish up anything. They're constantly roaming the streets. They're constantly on the prowl for something. Come on. That's hard. They are constantly working in the dark. They're constantly facing threats, etc. Not even knowing that you got a threat going on. Running and running into one issue after another, trying to figure it out, and then they got God in the mix, messing up everything. It's very challenging, my my friends. I want you to hear this, and I say to you, friends, because we are friends. I know we're family, but we're also friends. We bonded over this year. We've become very close. But I want you to understand God has a way to think, and true apostles are going to tell you how God thinks. They're not going to modify you according to the culture of this world. They're not. And I know it. I've, I've, I've sat down with some of these and some of these things, and I thought, I, I didn't know. I was brand new. This is way, way, way back in time. I was, I was brand new, but something inside me kept saying, but you know, God, that's kind of different from how you and I talk. But you will never learn God outside of his Bible. He is so smart. He did not want anybody to find him in some great, big, elaborate anything. Because God is a living God. He wants to make himself known through living means and living vessels, which is why we have all these people called to ministry, to make God known. So that God will be known. And he'll be known in the present environment accurately. You realize that if God is just locked in a book, I mean, I wrote tons of books. But that's a moment in time. The Holy Spirit is what keeps God's Bible timeless. The sin in man keeps God's Bible timeless. The wickedness of Satan keeps God's Bible timeless. The law of sin and death keeps God's Bible timeless. The righteousness of God, the eternality of God's kingdom, are what keeps God's Bible timeless. Otherwise, it's dead plant. But the reasons it was written don't go away. And because they don't go away, 
<laughs> they always fit. People are still going to be born to die. That's not going away. People are born and they're going to die. People are born and they're going to age before they die. They will get sick. Crime will exist. Wickedness will abound. Jesus said all of that. And all of those are the reason why God put himself in print. He did not need print for himself. His world does not have print. They don't have a Bible. They have a sovereign who has espouses his laws and enforces his government. They don't have a Bible in God's world. Trust me, they don't have one. They don't have this for sure. Now, they have archives, and they have books and records on everything that they've done. Like they record everything because in God's world, nothing is ever lost or forgotten, kind of like the Internet has become. So God, so God did it first. You can, there's no, when God speaks, and you cannot erase it. It can't go anywhere. That's why he always, he doesn't say he erases your sin. He said he puts it away. He throws it in the sea of forgetfulness. He, uh, he quarantines it. He assigns it someplace because he can't get rid of it. He blocks it. He covers it. And so he purges it off you, but he gathers it. It's like when you wash the floor. You wash your kitchen floor. And you got this wonderful bucket of nice, clean water, and when it's all over, the floor is clean, but the water is dirty. We must do something with this dirty water. Just because it's no longer on the floor doesn't mean we need to store it and keep it. And you can't just throw it anywhere. That's how God deals with sin. He has to find, he has to find a place to put it. We've been made, made people think this, you know, like most of us, we think the garbage disposal because it got it gets it out of our sight that it just makes it all disappear. No, it just moves off our location, but it still goes someplace else. Scripturally organic, culturally unmodified. Jesus had to get God had to put sin on Jesus because when He pulled it out of humanity's spiritual realm. He had to put it somewhere. It was already in the dirt. It was in the dirt because that's what Cain did when he killed his brother. It's what Adam did when he ate from the tree. So it was already in the dirt. It was already in the ecology. Anybody flowing with me yet? It was already in the atmosphere. It was already in the animals. It was already in human. It was already in human spirit and human soul and body. So when Jesus, what he did was so phenomenal that God took all of the codes of sin, the consequences, he put someplace else, but the codes of sin, all of the things that, that literally mutated the Messiah on the cross was God gathering up from all the planet so that he could give the world a chance to hear him. And before he could he, he could do that, put it on Jesus Christ so that he could legitimately cast out the gods of this world. Sin, your sin that you commit, you got, oh, well, I'll just do this and apologize. I'll just do this and repent. That, that's not how it works. When you do, you bring something into existence from your being that didn't exist before. It now has legal, lawful right to literally reproduce itself, inscript itself in your being because you've authorized it. We, when we do our 3D um, training, you know, we do our 3D soul distress to success uh, soul restoration program, we start with the fact that people aren't in bondage because God can't do anything. They're not even in bondage because Satan is just running them up. They're in bondage because they, they
they legitimized it. You legitimize every addiction and every affliction. You legitimize them. If God doesn't move it, it's because you have legitimized it. You think about that addict did not chose to do whatever the addiction was. You chose it. You chose feeling good. You chose whatever it took to feel good. You chose quick, fast, and hurry, root out of pain. You chose all of that, and that's why free will is so important, but choice is important in God. Choice is extremely important. And some of you all, you chose that. You chose that situation, and you authorized it. When people tried to talk you out of it, they were, you, you literally, listen to me, you literally, they came to try to give you counsel, they tried to talk you out of it, and you told them they didn't know what they were talking about. And you let your seduction answer your solution. 3D. You chose, and you authorized your seduction to answer your solutions. And while it is true, and we just had this conversation in a class, while it is true that there is no sorcery against uh, Jacob, there is seduction, which is why witchcraft is a work of the flesh. It works your flesh until it gains permission to get access to your soul. It works your flesh in temptations. It works your flesh in seductions. It works your flesh in conversation. It works your flesh in, in appetite and desires, and it'll work it until you give it access. That serpent was in the tree, and that devil was in that serpent until, until Adam gave it access. This is our program, a little thin book. I was talking to one of my counselors this week, and he was saying, but that little thin book, he said, that book, you think it's such an easy read? You think it's one, two, three? But understand. Understand this. It is not. Some of our folks have added 3D. But in here, we talk about you have must, you must, you must authorize every seduction. You must. Now, you may have done it subtly. You may not have understood it. Even, even as a kid, you know, you could be molested as a child. Hey, you're a victim. But when you grow up and you decide to act on that victimhood, and you decide to literally habituate what happened to you and your defenses, especially in Christ, because Christ came to set you free. One thing that Jesus said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away and all things are made new, and everything is of God. So Jesus came into your life to set you free, and then you went to some sort of secular counselor and said, yeah, well, that's nice, but that's religion. No, baby, that was redemption. Religion is when you keep Christ out while you stay in church. That's religion. Redemption is when you put Christ inside and realize you're a walking version of the church. There's a difference between religion and redemption. And a lot of times, you, let, you start letting the world tell you that yours is religion. I'm not a religious woman. I'm redeemed. I'm bought back from this. I am not religious. Trust me. Maybe all the religious people who talk to me talk about, well, you know, something, you're different. I mean, you're just like, oh, no. They're going to tell you I'm not religious because I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so this is our book. Prophet Ashley is usually the one that teaches it the most. She seems to be the one that's most adept at it. And then we also have Prophet Alt out in Portland. He absolutely loves it and uses it. Can you say the full title again? The full title is 3D. 
a soul restoration plan to take your life from distress to success, an instrument of divine intervention. And so I, I only got through one. I can't, I'm trying to get a writing retreat where I just go over and finish it because it's like 12 of these that I haven't done yet. But anyway. And they can go to www.drpaulaaprice.com and uh, click on the, the uh, products tab on the left, and it'll take you to the site. It's available in the paper, in the ebook, and then if they sign up for a life advisement, so the 3D life advisement track too, they will also yeah, well, I would suggest you get somebody walk you through it because most of us, if we could face ourselves honestly, we probably wouldn't by now. Right. Okay, so some of us need outside help. We need divine intervention. But I want you, I wanted you to know that I only have a few more minutes, but I needed to talk to you. There are times that God just wants me to tell you his heart on things and to help you just make sense out of the crazy in your life. Most of you never had a fighting chance because you didn't, you, you, whether the pastor wasn't up to, up to speed or the church wasn't there or you went to one of them kind of worldly churches, those anybody, anybody come and everybody do what you want to do, churches, etc. But I'm going to tell you one thing you need to know about salvation. You may not have a lot of things that you can remember, but remember this. Jesus Christ did not come for you to stay as you were. He came to make you what he is. I want to say that again. Jesus Christ did not come for you to stay as you were. He came to make you what he is. I'm going to say it one more time because I think it's important. Jesus Christ did not come to earth for you to stay as you were. He came to make you what he is. As he is, so are we in this world, that we may be like him. God never expected you to stay as you were when you were born into the planet. He expected your old man to die. He expected your old habits to die. He came to rehabilitate you in your soul as he renovates your spirit. He gave you a new spirit. He renovates your soul. Let me get it right. He gave you a new spirit. He renovates your soul that we may be renewed in the spirit of our minds, that we may be transformed. So he came, gave us a brand new spirit that would then begin the work of renovating our soul, which would in turn rehabilitate our body. That's it. That's the plan. It's, it's, I, I know it's simply stated, but it is not an easy process. But if you don't know why Jesus came, you will never, ever reap the fruit of your salvation. You will always be on the fence in the outer court, curbside. You know, we got the curbside saints. We got some starter saints, you know. We got the run-through, the drive-through saints. And that's what I'm going to show you tonight as I begin to wrap this up. You know, I showed them this Sunday in church how people feel about God. So let's go. We got time. Uh-huh. They know it's coming. Yeah, they know because and, and didn't you did you put it up yet? Is it gonna be on the television thing, the sermon? Sunday? Those, those aren't out there. But, oh, not yet? Okay. Well I'm just rushing you. You feel rushed? <laughs> if you feel rushed. Say amen. I'm good with that feeling. <laughs> feel it. Okay, so let's just look at some of the things that we've been talking about as the apostolic Christians. First of all, and I preach this Sunday, and I'm really going to ask them to see if they can make this available to you, because I think Sunday's sermon was explosive, and it was all about the Godhead franchise. And I think that some of you all who just need God to say it in your language would appreciate it. So listen, 
This is what we're going to do. Don't turn this. Don't move that because I'm going to move this out. What we're going to do is just we're going to send Prophet Ashley a ton of kisses, just a bunch of art, just tons and tons of them. You know, she comes on on Friday at midnight, so you're going to send her just, just, just go ahead on it and, and, and just lovingly, lovingly work her over in love. She's your sister. Now, we just got her out the bed of the flu. So, you know, because <laughs> she was down for a week. My God, did I miss that woman. But anyway, oh, I'm sorry, two weeks. And, but, uh, but I want you to just look at this. Scripturally organic Christianity. We talked last Tuesday about what it is and what it isn't. And, uh, and I reiterate that in this Sunday's teaching. It is not the simple church. It is not the organic church that started in 93 and lost its way. They set up, a, they wanted to break away so they can break the institution of the Christian church. That's not what they're already getting you on. I know. Isn't that great? Work up, girls. Work work them, son. Come on. And so they, um, it's not that. This is literally scripturally organic. You cannot be an organic church without apostleship. It is impossible. That failed because it was based on elders, pastors, and deacons, and it couldn't survive. But you cannot be organic without apostleship. You cannot be organic without prophets. The true prophet and the true uh, 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 apostle is organic. Scripture organic. Here's what I want you to see. See the three. Vine, bread, wine. Vine, bread, wine. You got the word of God, which is your bread. We got that as the body of Christ. We've talked about it being the body of Christ. And if the body of Christ is what God gave to the world, hallelujah, to feed it his life. We are that loaf of bread. We are, this is my body broken for you. We're all the best, and we're all broken. We all come out broken. Come on. None of us going to be fixed 100%. It's not happening. I don't care. If we can get 80% whole in Jesus Christ and get to heaven, we'll be okay. 100%, we're probably already made it on the other side. Hallelujah. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I am him. The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That's the vine. Body, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Hallelujah. The cup, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, you do the bread in remembrance, but you do the cup as often, which means he wants you to keep drinking on the blood, keep drinking on his life. Hallelujah. Keep drinking the Holy Ghost. We did the four elements. Do you remember this, Ashley? The four elements of organic Christianity. You have to set this up just right. Okay. You said it. Come on, I'll let you know. No, no. Okay. Hold on. She said, don't rush. All right. She's interceding. So the first one, the first element is the Bible, which is the word, and the word is the bread. Second element is the blood, Jesus' blood that was shed for us. The cross is the earth element it's the, because it's what he did. He, the cross was the tree lifted up from the earth. And then the last one is the life of Christ. So these are the four elements of organic Christianity. You've got to be organic. You've got to have the word. You've got to have the blood. You've got to have died at the cross and not just carrying it around as jewelry. And then you have to have the life of Christ. Some of y'all think because you wear this jewelry, then it's working on you. It's not. It's just jewelry. Hallelujah. And so here we're going to talk about the, uh, the, the 20. Look at this. New era apostleship. Holistic and organic. We are 21st century apostolic Christians, which are the exact, we're going after being the replica of that Christianity that changed the world and that God started out with organic and holistic, culturally unaffected. 
We are organic Christians are not affected by coffee. You can't temptation or not. They understand temptation. They just understand that they don't want it. That's all. It's not that we don't have it because you know it's like come on, we in this flesh, but we understand that our flesh is not reigning. And so and so we moving on. I know Ashley wants me to get there. Here we go. So this organic Christianity requires apostles' doctrine. Scripturally organic Christians. Now, experientially organic Christians, these are people who want to just ride on the Holy Ghost. We don't want the Bible. We just let everybody do what they want to do. This is not a free-fall. We're not free-falling. This is not a bungee jump, okay? We are literally looking to be that body that Jesus Christ gave his life for, prophetic, pure, legal, and lawful, pedagogic, prefectual, ordinal. We follow orders in the precepts of God. We follow the scripture as canon. We are instructed. We are didactic, which means we teach. We are the bread that's given to the world. We are regulatory. We are procedural. We are prescriptive. We are legislative. And we are inactive. That is the government of God. We are the government of God in the kingdom of God. We are standing at the throne of God. Because remember, we're all right hand of, of the Father. And we are the eternal, eternal nation of Jesus Christ and the citizenry of God. That's what an apostolic Christian is. That is what a scripturally organic Christian is. The government, we're under the government of God. We are citizens. We're in the kingdom of God. We are at the throne of God. We are his eternal nation in Jesus Christ. Jesus birthed a nationality, a divine nationality on earth in the flesh, and we are the citizenry of God. Now, here we go. Where do people get stuck? People get stuck going Jesus Christ shopping. You pick, you want to pick the Christ you like. I hope you can see it, but if you can't, there's a list. But you want to pick the Christ you like. So we've got the, you know, the flawed, we got the flawed Christ. You know, that's what people want to tell you. Well, you know, even Jesus wasn't perfect. No, he he came to earth to become imperfect. Jesus incarnated to become imperfect. He was the perfect sacrifice because he was a flawed deity. He had to come to earth to, to become mortal. Because you know what? God's a holy God. And then, of course, we have the rest of them. Look, can you see them all falling? We got the indulgent God. We've got the emotional God. Let's not forget that one. And we want that naturistic God and that culture God. Come on here. We, we want that earthly Christ. Hallelujah. We want that malleable Christ. We want to be able to twist them to our will. We want that humanic Jesus. You know, we want that. And, of course, we want the lost God. So these are the things. But if you're really shopping for Jesus, you should be looking for the sovereign Savior who is the lion and the lamb. That's what you should be shopping for as you run the aisles of possible Christ. So, first one, humanic, emotional, cultural, earthly, philosophical. Oh, my God, the intellectuals love that one. Philosophical. We just love, I, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, but I like his wisdom. I don't believe in so. And so you gather all of the wisdom of all of these thinkers, giving them all equal weight and equal credit in your life and equal power over your thoughts. Indulgent, malleable, unavenging. That's the one I want to talk about. Unavenging and naturistic. These are the people that you're shopping for your Jesus. So you ought to be able to find him in his grocery list. But then there is God and man. God and man. 
the scriptural, scripturally organic Christian has no conflict between Jesus being God and man. They just don't. And so when you look at the definition of humanic, I thought this was very interesting, all about the human, the study or subject of human nature, the doctrine or science of human nature or of matters relating to humanity or affairs of humankind. And so the point of this is to let you know you need to examine the Jesus you went after when you said it was time for you to get saved. You need to examine the Jesus you were looking for. Did you want this earthly Jesus that was just like you? Hmm. Did you want to flog Jesus so you could feel good about being who you are and call yourself a good person even though you don't always master good deeds? Did you want a Jesus who lost his way because you were lost? Did you want a Jesus that you can mold to your opinions and to your feelings and to your life or the Jesus of culture? Did you want a Jesus that was, that was naturistic? You can worship him with fruits and veggies and, and all kinds of occultic things, you know, and, and worshiping the creature over the creator. That might have been what you want. Did you want this indulgent Jesus who was going to leave you alone? You know, a lot, a lot of times you have toddlers that are like, just leave me alone. Or you get your teenager, and your teenager's like, just leave me alone. I just want to let me be myself. And you're like tearing up everything, but you're going to be yourself. And my other one, did you want this unavenging Jesus, the Jesus that will never, ever avenge sin because he's not allowed to call it that. He's not allowed to even recognize that such a thing exists. When you went Jesus Christ shopping, what did you come back with? Because that defines your salvation. These nine things define your salvation. Getting crazy, huh? Hallelujah. And then after you got a Christ, you got to find a Christianity. So let's see what we went out for. Oh, hallelujah. We got this worldly Christianity. We got a sensual Christianity. That, 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 um, that simple church was sensual. It was about a human experience. If Christ for you is about your experience and not his, then we got a problem. Because God did this to improve his experience with humanity. He knew that we were never going to get humanity's experience with him. All right, and then, of course, we want to have the imitation. We want that knockoff Jesus, that Jesus that almost looks like he's real, but he's, but he's not worth the cost of the real one. We'll settle for the other. And then we also have this fleshly Jesus, you know. He just, he just you know, he's himself, and let's not forget the culture. We got the occultic. We got casual. Now, casual Jesus is the one I like. He's the one that everybody walks around and says, well, we don't have to clean up for him. You don't have to dress up for him. I mean, what goes on the inside, uh, what you wear on the outside doesn't have anything to do with you on the inside. It does everywhere else you go, but not with Jesus. You realize that those people that go to these, uh, that go to the, the, these stores and you work for these stores or whatever, uh-uh, it matters. Now, moving on, and then we want the societal Jesus, and some people just like that toxic Jesus. We just want that toxic Christianity. We just want what makes us feel good. We want the preservatives. We want the additives. We want the, the, the you know, uh, GMOs, God moved out. You know, we want that. We want the God moved out Christianity. We don't want that God at home. We want God gone. So here, here's your Christianity shopping, worldly, humanist, cultural, sensual, occultic, fused, casual, societal, and toxic. So you want the God that the world appreciates. The world defines your Christianity. You know, that's why I'm hoping that maybe we can get the Sunday message. Because we talk about the franchise. 
The God can hold the franchise on Christianity. You don't define it. They already did. You can't decide who comes in or who goes out without going by the rules of their franchise. They hold the patents on life, on eternal life. They hold the patents on death. They hold the patents on sin. Can you believe God holds the patents on sin? God? What? Yeah. Because sin began with him. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. Sin began in God's world. It did not begin on earth. Earth holds no patents. Earth holds no licenses. Earth holds no credentials to talk about anything divine that God hasn't given it. Now, you can talk about all those other things, but you can't talk about it. God holds a patent on false gods. He holds a patent on false spirits. He holds a patent on creation. You know why? Because he, he, he created it. He, I, I'm going to today, the word heavens, just the plural word heavens, in Scripture mentioned 127 times. Just heavens. Not, we didn't get to heavenly. We didn't get to heaven. We just got heaven. 127 times. And uh, numerous times it says, but God created the heavens and the earth and all their hosts. He holds the patent. That's why you can't stop yourself from aging. That's why you can't stop yourself from dying. That's why when you when, when a sickness hits you, if God doesn't have mercy, and you're, even a doctor, he holds a patent on that. For all the, for all the medications they got, we still got an increased death rate. How well are we doing? People are dying more, they're dying faster, and they're dying younger. And on one hand, they're telling us they're living longer. On the other hand, they're dying faster. I'm not quite sure who's, who's going to count this. We've got old diseases coming back. Why? Because we've got old sins being authorized. That was free. Spiritually organic, culturally unmodified. Spiritually organic Christians. We like that sensual. It feels good. You go to church because you like the feel of the music. You go to church because you like the feel of the church. You don't go to church because it does anything for Jesus. If it doesn't do anything for you, you out. You don't care what Jesus is getting. Because he's nobody. You know, Jesus is like a disease that you carry inside that you keep it under control. Because he's not important. Occultic, you've got to have all that ritualistic stuff. That's what half of the prophetic is occultic to death. These people are doing occultic things, going to shamans and carrying on. I don't need to go to no shame man to learn nothing. <laughs> I don't need it. I talk, you know, David said, but that all, you know what I'm saying, all of the soothsayers, everybody in here, all the people, and they died. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is killing supernatural people. He's killing the mind. Divine communications or communicants and spiritual ministers, he's wiping them off the planet. Daniel said, but there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And then he said, give me three days. Give me some time. Y'all be good. The reason y'all are wrong because you don't have time. You don't take time to be right. Being accurate takes time because you got to filter through wrong. You can't always give somebody a word in the moment. Somebody said to me recently, well, okay, since you're a prophet, you know, tell me what the rain is going to be like. I said, did I tell you I was a soothsayer? I never once told you I was a soothsayer. I didn't tell you I was a fortune teller. I don't tell you fortune, and I don't sooth and say. I don't have to, because what I give you, you can do something with. I will not give a word that people can't do anything with. 
I have. I mean, even it was so interesting. I got one of my one of my sheep here. She might be watching, but one of my sheep here has this beautiful dog, beautiful German Shepherd. And for what two months or twelve, three months, I carried this dog. Now tell me why I'm carrying dogs. And I tell you, the Lord said, tell her to take a dog to the doctor. So she's a baby being and wants to take the dog to the doctor. Doctor finds nothing. God's still saying that dog is sick. And so one day she stays home, and the dog has to go outside, and she walks her dog and finds all these worms. The, the doctor didn't pick it up, but God did because he was losing weight like crazy. And she said, Dr. Price, you were right. Yeah, that's useful. Whether it's going to rain tomorrow, it's all right. I mean, it could be good for a farmer. could be good to tell you about an umbrella. And they'll tell you, I do that all the time. You have so-and-so. I'm not a soothsayer. I don't have to, so I don't need to go to soothsaying classes because I'm not a soothsayer. I'm not a fortune teller, so I don't need to go to fortune telling classes because I don't tell fortunes. Isn't that wonderful? I don't need to do that. I don't know how I don't have to go somewhere and read no entrails. I don't have to read no lovers. I don't have to play with somebody's menstrual period. I don't have to do any of that. My stuff works because I'm your stuff with the God in heaven who reveals secrets. I don't have to do it, and I never have. Never have, not one time. And God will sit there and just chat. We don't even talk about this, like, well, okay, God, I need you to give me a prophecy. That's not often. And I don't care who you are. I tell everybody, God wrote a book on every life. Psalm 139 said, every life has a book. That means every day got a word. Every minute of every day is covered by God in his book of lives. Now, that's what they do have. They got a in there. That's huge. Endless. And so I want you to understand that if we're going to do this thing and bring this thing right, then stop doing what God rebuked Israel for in Isaiah. When he said, why seek ye the living among the dead? You all running around with your going to get your sign, Christians wearing their signs. Oh, my God. Let me tell you, they come to me with their sign on baby. I, I don't even say, well, I just look at it. And I bow my head. I said, I will rebuke you, and I snatch that thing off of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Because I'm telling you, when Pentecost came, Babylonian and Greco-Roman astrology died. Because God changed the heavens. Like cookies right there. See, she on it. Hey, girl, she on it. She said, let me know. God changed the heavens. So anything you see astrological now is wrong. It could be sensual. It could be the devils that are running it. Now, they say they were gone. Because astrology is just simply saying this is the devil who controls your birthday and the life you live as a result. I know it because I was in it. And I have a wonderful teaching called astrology. A dangerous, curious art. So when you finish, you want to find out about astrology, and you want to find out what God says, yeah, I'm an apostle. Apostles are supposed to blow the lid off of astrology. That's what Paul did in Ephesus. He blew the lid off of it. And I'm doing the same thing. So you got some homework. Number one, get this wonderful book, 3D, a soul restoration plan to take your life from distress to success, an instrument of divine intervention. That's important. You're going to have to nag Prophet Ashley to help you get Sunday's sermon out because she doesn't have anything else to do. All right? We know that. And then lastly, you're going to order the teaching. Those of you who are in astrology, those prophets who have taken those classes and talking about, well, you know, God talked about that. When Pentecost came, hold on, girl. When Pentecost came, God changed the heavens. He said, behold, I got a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the prince of this world was cast out, those 
devils were cast out. And they were not just cast off the planet. They were cast out of the heavenly realms. Those astrology readings are nothing but divination from devils who have been displaced by Jesus Christ and Christianity. So you need to get that teaching. Go get it. Astrology, a most dangerous, curious art. Go to my website, drpaulaprice.com, and shop till you drop. God bless you. I will see you on Thursday.